0: If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> and as you go on there, we're going to just read this text this morning, starting in verse 12 of chapter 12, 1 Corinthians. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. But if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. But that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are in the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. Uh, Chapter twelve here of the letter to the first Corinthians (coughs) kind of marked a bit of a, a turning turning page in the in the theme and Uh, The focus of Paul's writing up until this point in the letter, chapters 1 through 11, Paul had been really addressing much of the unspiritual, carnal, worldly behavior of the Corinthian church. They were not what you would call mature Christians. We've seen that all throughout this series. But having addressed those uh, situations and issues of discussion, in chapter 12, Paul began... To address the Corinthians in a spiritual manner. Now they were a divided church. We've seen that right. They were divided by the various classes of their society. There was masters in there. There were slaves in there. They were divided by ethnicity Jews and Greeks. Uh, division had been caused by gender. Division had been caused by financial position in life. Even by their loyalty to their favorite uh, Bible teacher. Or uh apostle and who knows I imagine that as far as sports teams went they were divided I imagine that as far as voting for the election they were divided I mean they were just a divided group and in their carnality they had let things that were non-essentials become matters that were carving up the church like last Monday's Thanksgiving turkey and so finally as Paul began to address them not in light of their worldliness not in light of their Uh, carnality, but to address them as spiritual people, as blood-bought, purchased children of God, he discussed spiritual gifts. We saw that two weeks ago, the first part of this chapter, verses 1 through 11, the utterance of wisdom, the utterance of knowledge, faith, gifts of working miracles, prophecy, uh, distinguishing of Spirits, gifts of healing, various kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. And those gifts were portioned out to the church, Paul says, like a slice of pie. They all originated from the same source. And verse 11 says this, all were, are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions them to each one individually as he wills. Now as Paul's like recounting to the church the bounty of the Spirit's gifts to the church. It's like looking over the spread of a table. That's what I was thinking of. It's like, oh wow, look at that. Oh wow, look at that. I want some of that. I want some of that. I want some of that. And as he's counting over these gifts, his focus, his emphasis is not actually the gifts of the Spirit. Nor the separateness of those who receive their individual gifts from the Spirit. His focus, as we saw, was the work of the Holy Spirit as he brings unity to the body of Christ. Just as the gifts are diverse and they're they're different and they're unique, they're all sourced from one and the same Spirit. And so too the people in the body of Christ we're going to see are diverse and they're different and they're unique And yet they're one in Jesus Christ. One body called the body of Christ. And Paul's heart for the church, Paul's heart for the divided church was that it acknowledged the spiritual unity that exists through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, The Holy Spirit is concerned about the unity of the church. He he works for the unity of the church. But as I say that, I think that there's a deep misunderstanding about the nature of unity in the church amongst Christians often. You see, the body-like unity of Christians is not something, uh, it's not a goal that we achieve. It's a fact that we're to recognize. We're not unified because we worked and we unified ourselves. We're unified because Christ died for us on the cross and we all bowed our knee to him and surrendered our lives to him. And so our unity is not something we achieve, it's something that Christ has accomplished for us. In my physical body, I don't have to achieve unity. Come on, Arm, stay there today. Sometimes you have to hold your head on. But it's not that we work to achieve the unity of our body. Our body is unified because it is a body because that's the way God designed it and so this discussion to the Corinthians is meant to move them beyond themselves and meant to move us you and I in the body of Christ beyond ourselves to see our relationship one to another to see the unity that we have in Christ and so in verse 12 he says just as the body is one and has many members and all the, of the members and all the members of the body though many are one body so it is with Christ And so Paul begins to talk here about the character and the nature of the church, and he says this. It's in the form of a body, the church. The body's made up of different members. Remember the old song? ankle bone's connected to the... I don't remember. I I was trying to think about how it went. Shin bone, shin bone's connected to the knee bone. Knee bone's connected to the... I don't know. It's not exactly a lesson in anatomy, is it? But... uh, it makes the point that there are mem- many members and they're all connected. Every cell in the human body is, is linked to a common root. The DNA code. And each part though it looks different, functions different. It accomplishes the purposes in unity for the sake of the body. And so it is with the body of Christ. You know, if You look around the room. Some of you are unique. (laughs) Some of us are diverse. There are different parts. We look different. We have different functions within the body of Christ. And yet, we come from a a common root, the person of Jesus Christ. We're to serve a a common goal, his glory. And to me, as I think about this text, text, it's interesting if you think about it, that, that The Lord has called the church the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Jesus is the eternal son of God. Uh, Jesus, when he was born of the virgin, the eternal God took on human form. He was clothed in flesh. He, He shared in our humanity, the scripture says. Jesus had a physical body, and in his physical body, He experienced human touch. He experienced a a hard day's work. He he knew the joy of relaxation and the satisfaction of a Thanksgiving dinner. Maybe not Thanksgiving but Passover meal. Something like that. He, He knew friendship. He knew betrayal. He knew the sorrow of tears. He knew what it was like to be indignant. He knew the empowering of the Holy Spirit. He experienced the pain and the torture of the cross the reality of death in his body he died and he was buried and God raised him from the dead and in his resurrection body we know that he ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the father but his church is called his body the body of Christ is the expression of himself that he has left here on earth it's an awesome responsibility it's a It's a neat thought that the body of Christ is the expression Jesus has left of himself here on earth. For now. He's left us here. As his hands. As his feet. As his voice. As his representatives. As his ambassadors. As his body. We are called the body of Christ and he has made his church the expression of himself to the world. So Paul calls it the church the pillar and foundation of truth in the world. Verse 12 again says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one, so it is with Christ. Verse 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. There's many different baptisms in the scripture. We see that. baptism of repentance john's baptism baptism in the holy spirit water baptism of course water baptism is when a believer publicly identifies himself with jesus christ symbolically in the waters of baptism you're you're buried with christ and you're raised up out of the water as a of, of as a picture of being raised to new life in jesus christ and uh demonstrates and communicates the fact to the world that you, you serve Jesus Christ and the old life is gone and the new has come. But what Paul has in mind here is, is not so much water baptism as it is spirit baptism. And I don't even mean baptism of the Holy Spirit like we see in the book of Acts, but this picture that we are baptized into the body of Christ when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit takes us and puts us into the body. Paul is speaking of this common immersion that all believers have in the Holy Spirit that brings them into the body of Christ. And he makes mention of these old identities that they had. The the identities by which they first used to define themselves. Well, I'm a Jew. Well, I'm a Greek. Well, I'm slave. Well, I'm free. Ethnicity and slavery and freedom were sources of division in the church. But when we come to Christ, that becomes our first identity for every man, woman, and child. It's, it's, I'm not, before I'm a Canadian, I'm a Christian. Before I say, yes, I'm so thankful for my country. I'm, I'm thankful for the kingdom that I live for and the king that I get to serve. We're Christians. And when the body of Christ gathers uh, together, though we're unique, though we're different, Though we're diverse, though we have different opinions on different things in life, uh, these things that are meant to divide us uh, or that divide us on a human realm are to take a back seat to to the identity that we have in Christ that is to unite us. We are in Christ. We are saved. We are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. In fact, Paul says we're all made to drink of one spirit. Reminded of the words Jesus said to the woman at the Samaritan well. The Samaritan woman at the well there, Jesus said this Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 14. But as it is, God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. Uh, Here's this picture of the church. It's in the form of the body. Uh, This illustration for us. And as Paul begins to talk here, he begins to talk about the function of the church and says you need to operate, you need to function like a body. And I really think, you know, like I read this illustration, it's ridiculous. Don't you think that when you read that? It sounds so silly. What do you mean toe say? I'm not a toe. I don't want to be a toe. I mean, what is that? You know, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. You know, because I'm not, you know, because I'm an ear and, and I want to be an eye, I, I don't fit in. And it's not that it makes, it, well, it's just ridiculous. Look it. That's the truth. It's ridiculous. And I think that it's it's meant to be that way. I think Paul liked to teach that way sometimes. He used humor and, and, and sarcasm and it's it's a good illustration but we're not to take this and say yeah yeah I wonder what part of the body I am in sense comparing to a physical body. I knew it I'm nothing more than a foot. Put a sock on me and stuff me in a shoe and I'll sweat and produce bad odor. I, that's not the point. I you know I really wanted to be something presentable but I guess I'll just be a foot. Uh, the point of Paul's illustration is to say that if a part's missing, the whole body suffers. I mean, you think about it here as I stand here and preach this morning. What, what is important about my body? Well, I'll tell you what. If you took my big toes off, I couldn't stand here. If you removed my arms, I couldn't wave them and gesture with my hands. You, you might think, oh, you're preaching. The most important part is the mouth or the tongue. But no, it takes the whole body to deliver the message. Do you understand? All of the parts matter. We're all a part of the body and we all have the same function. We have a role to fulfill. And God has placed us where it pleases him within the body of Christ. And the tendency is this. The tendency is to go, well, I want to be in a place where I can be seen. I want to be in a spot up front. And you know, I have to say this, I, th- I think some of the most important parts of the body are parts that are not seen, like big toes, like feet. You don't want to look at my feet this morning. I need to cut my toenails. It's bad. No, just kidding. But, you, you know, I think, what are some of the most important parts? of? You know what I'll tell you one of the most important parts of the body is? A, a man or woman who prays. A man or woman who, though unseen, like a foot stuffed in a shoe, who prays for their church. Who prays that the gospel would go forth from their church. That prays for the leadership of the church. That goes through the directory of the church and prays for families and individuals. I'll tell you what, that is important. That's important. Being seen is certainly not the most important as this text illustrates. And and we're going to see that further. And I would say this as, you go through, as we go through this text. God has placed each of us where we need to be. God has arranged the body and he has placed us where we function effectively for him. As he chose. Why is the hand a hand and why is the foot a foot? Because that's the way the designer made it. And the hand can take no pride in being a hand and the foot can take no shame in being a foot a foot. Rather, each is to serve the purpose that God has for them and for the pleasure of the designer. Look at verse 19. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. I love that. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You know, Christians, just like any human being, are are tempted towards pride, tempted towards a sense of superiority, sometimes by our gifts, sometimes by our place in the body, but no part can say to another part, I have no need of you. And sometimes you don't pay much attention to certain parts of your body till you hurt them. You know? I was remembering a time that I was at my grandparents when I was a kid and I was running around with my cousins we were kicking the soccer ball around in the yard. And uh, I wound up to kick that soccer ball. What, what I didn't see was that just below the grass where the ball was was the steel water shut off from my grandpa's house. And so... Wham! I kicked that piece of steel, and that sounds bad, but what made it worse was that I wasn't wearing shoes. And I'll tell you, prior to that, I didn't think about my big toe. But for the next few days, that's all I thought about. <laughs> it dominated my thoughts. It affected the way I walked. It had done its job so well that I didn't think about it until I heard it. And when it hurts, you realize how important the part is. Look at what he says here, Verse 23. All suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Man, when one member suffers, we all suffer. When one is honored, we should rejoice together. You know, without exception, for every one of us, whatever you do in the body, whatever gifts God has placed in you, whatever ministry He has given you, whatever service God has called you to, whatever activity you do for him in the kingdom, you're needed in the body of Christ. You think about your body and the parts that you spend extra time to conceal. I should be sucking my gut in a little bit more this morning. Uh, the parts that we take and we want to conceal them, we want to hide them. We cover them up. And in the body of Christ, the same is true. There, there are certain parts that get covered up. But, but Paul says here it's because these unpresentable parts actually have more honor than you realize. We think just the opposite. We think the parts that are seen are really honorable. We think that the superstars or those up front are the ones who get the attention but the reality is is this is when we get to heaven I I really think there's going to be some shockers about when, when we see who God honors. What he saw as presentable. What he saw as beautiful in the body of Christ. The people who were not seen. The people who were not known. They were not up front but they were praying. They were worshiping. They were being the hands and feet of Christ to the community. They were loving. They were sharing the gospel. They were being faithful. They were honoring the Lord. And the ones that seem so center stage will be in the back row. In the back seat. Verse 25. That there may be no division in the body. But that the members may have the same care for one another again if one member suffers. All suffers to get, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. See, the church is called the fellowship, koinonia. Uh, you know, the, the parts of the body work together. Nothing, as we see here, just serves itself, but it serves the body as a whole. My hands, they feed me and they defend can defend me. Uh, but not just themselves. They're not just feeding themselves. They're feeding the whole body. They're defending the whole body. The heart, it's not just supplying blood for itself, it's supplying blood to the, the whole body. Now, in the body, sometimes there can be parts that just serve itself doesn't contribute anything to the rest of the body. Everything it gets is used to feed itself. Do you know what they call that? Neil has it. It's called cancer. It exists to serve itself and it exists to take everything else from the body. I read this cool quote from Spurgeon he said this. I want every member of this church to be a worker. We do not want any drones. If there are any of you who want to eat and drink and do nothing, there are plenty of places elsewhere. Oh well that was pretty gutsy to say. There are plenty for him. I'm just quoting him. Take it as you, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> if there are any of you who want to eat and drink and do nothing, there are plenty of places elsewhere where you can do that. There are empty pews about an abundance. Go and fill them for we do not want you. Every Christian who is not a bee, is a wasp. The most quarrelsome persons are the most useless. And they who are the most happy and peaceable are generally those doing the most for Christ. That's a great quote. You know, and as we read this, to a a divided church, Paul appeals that they recognize the body-like unity that they have. It's not something that they need to fight to achieve. It's a a fact that they need to recognize and live in honor of. And if one is honored, all receive honor. And if one suffers, all suffer. He says in verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in his church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, And gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And so as Paul has talked about the unity of the body, that fact... Uh, the working of the spirit in the midst of that, now he begins to actually talk about the parts of the body. It's not feet and hand. Here we see it's apostles, prophets, teachers. The list goes on here. Let's go through it. Apostles. Apostles are special ambassadors of the church. Special ambassadors of the Lord. In the ultimate sense of that word, we know this, that ultimately... There were 12 apostles who laid the foundation of doctrine and of the church. And they will never be repeated. Their positions will never be replaced. It's done. The Lord has set that. But still, God has a place where uh, there are those who have apostolic ministries. They're, they're special ambassadors. That word apostle actually means sent one. Sometimes I, in my head, want to exchange that with missionary or it's one who goes out and establishes work, and so they're special sent ones, special ambassadors, um, and yet not in the same sense as the 12 original apostles. There are prophets. Prophets are those who speak forth for God, not just foretelling the future, which is actually a secondary part of prophetic ministry, but more a foretelling of the gospel, a foretelling of the message of Jesus. And just like there were 12 apostles and there was a unique uh, foundational ministry that they had, the same is true about the prophets. We can look at the Old Testament prophets and, and say there was something unique about those prophets and the things that they proclaimed and taught and declared about the Lord and about his people. They're foundational, just like the prophet, uh, like the apostles. So that's why these two are mentioned kind of one and two here on the list. But I would say this God still raises up people and uses people to speak forth his word, to uh, speak forth his word with special blessing and power, and they have prophetic ministries. But the title prophet, just like the title apostle, doesn't seem to be something the church hands out very easy, right? It's not something that the church just hands out, I think, especially of prophet. I mean, by definition of Deuteronomy chapter 18, a prophet is to be held to a standard of 100% accuracy. And so there are times when people function with prophetic giftings, but we don't necessarily call someone a prophet. He says, teachers. Teachers, the role, just like a school teacher, is to help establish, to train to teach skills, to teach doctrine. I like this definition of a teacher. They they take the cookies and they put them on the bottom shelf so the kids can reach them. <laughs> Teachers. Miracles. Those whom God uses to do miracles by the leading of the Holy Spirit. You know, I I, I know we had, I had lots of discussion. It was fun in our Koinonia group. So I, I hope you had good discussion the last couple weeks. This week, because uh, Ken was sharing the word with you, Last last Sunday, it was Ephesians chapter 6. Awesome discussion about uh, the armor of God and spiritual warfare and prayer. Uh, The week prior, we were dealing with the first half of this chapter, and we were talking about spiritual gifts, and I heard lots of conversations about why do we not see more healing? Why do we not see more miracles? And I would say to you, that's, that's that's a great question. Why don't we see more? I think this, and I said this to some people. Side note here, tangent, rabbit trail. Um, You know, I was thinking about the story of Hagar and Ishmael. You remember when Abraham sent them off into the desert? And they reached a a point of absolute desperation. In their situation, Hagar uh, went and left her son Ishmael, and she left him to die. That's what the scripture says. And then she went and she began to weep and God met her in that place. See, see in their lives they came to a point of utter desperation and uh, being completely destitute of any source of self-sufficiency. And I'll tell you what, I mean, just look around us. We, 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 we live in a, a nation of prosperity we, we live in a, in a country and in a community that teaches self-sufficiency, often the last place we go is to the Lord for him to provide until we're so desperate. And I think that that's often the way that, uh, one of the reasons why we don't see God's provision in that way, but at the same time, we also see God's provision in his prosperity to us, in his blessing with healthcare and, and the services that we have in our nation. So miracles, gifts of healing. Again, I think of gifts of healing, and it's it's not like the scripture gives some formula. You know, stand, stand on your head, do this, do that, da 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 and it's done. Otherwise, we take care of it. We, we do it. But more often than not, again, it's out of a, a place of desperation that those things happen. I think of Mark chapter 5 that tells... Two amazing stories that are kind of crossing the path of Jesus Christ at the same time as the woman who was 12, 12 years with an issue of bleeding come and touch the hem of his robe. And at the same time, Jairus came and he told Jesus about his 12-year-old daughter who was dying. And as their past intersected with the Lord Jesus, he worked healing. But in both of those situations, that woman had tapped out all of her resources, her finances, uh, the medical options that were in front of her, everything. And she was destitute and left as a, an outsider in her society and within her culture, unclean. And for Jairus, it was his, his little girl, a of, of, of father with his 12-year-old girl dying in utter desperation. He came to the Lord Jesus. And Jesus met them in that situation. And so we thank God for gifts of miracles. We thank God for gifts of healing within his church. We desire to see more of those things and we should always seek the Lord for them in the midst of them and come to him in our desperation. Empty ourselves of other sources besides the Lord. He lists uh, gifts of helping. Speaking of those who have a heart and mind to help, a heart and a mind to assist others to assist in doing the work of the Lord. Not maybe in a specific way, but they look out and they go, wow, there's need. I'm going to step in and I'm going to be the hands of feet in Christ in the midst of that need. And they just go about and they do it. I, I, I have to tell you that I think helps is my favorite gift in the church. As a pastor, when I observe you guys and when I watch the body of Christ and I see the body do ministry, and it's like, Nobody organized it. No pastor said, go do that. Go do that. It just happens and the body cares for and nurtures one another. You step up and you meet one another's needs. You help each other. It's an awesome gift. Spurgeon described uh, the qualities of someone who has this gift. Listen to what he said. A tender heart to really care. A quick eye to see the need. A quick foot to get to the needy. A loving face to cheer and bless them. A firm foot so you will not fall yourself. A strong hand to grip the needy with. A bent back to reach the man. Gifts of help. He also says administration. Thankful for that one. Thankful for those who have the ability to organize and direct things and schedule things. And it's awesome. AND OF COURSE VARIOUS KINDS OF TONGUES HE SAYS THERE. AND THEN VERSE 29, ARE ALL APOSTLES, ARE ALL PROPHETS, ARE ALL TEACHERS, DO ALL WORK MIRACLES, DO ALL POSSESS GIFTS OF HEALING, DO ALL SPEAK WITH TONGUES, DO ALL INTERPRET, AND THE IMPLIED ANSWER IS NO, NO. BECAUSE DIVERSITY JUST LIKE UNITY IS IMPORTANT TO THE BODY. IT'S BOTH WONDERFUL AND IT'S NEEDED, THAT WE'RE UNIQUE That we're different, that God has wired us and gifted us in different ways, and that we can be unified in the midst of our diversity. And so Paul says this in verse 31 earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. See, the Holy Spirit gives the gifts. I would say to you, what gift do you desire? You know that the invitation right there of the scripture is this ask for the gift. God I want to be a helper I want to be a teacher I, I want to have <coughs> prophetic ministry I, I want to get to function as someone who is a special calling like an apostle I want to help with administer look at desire the gifts and ask for them that's what Paul says I was so encouraged by that he said God I want to be a better teacher I want to be a better teacher of the word of God I need your spirit to anoint me for that and so the challenges there, ask for the greater gifts. And Paul says something wonderful as he wraps it. He says, and I will show you still a more excellent way. We're going to get to it next week. Chapter 13, where Paul will explain this excellent way. We call it the love chapter in scripture, right? And it focuses not on the gifts, but it focuses on the motivation behind the gift as it operates. And the motivation for all things for us is to be love. Love for God and love for one another. The gifts are simply, all these gifts that we talk about are simply to be an expression of that love. You know, the body of Christ, how wonderful it is. you thankful for the body of Christ? I'm thankful for my church. Thankful for my church family. Thankful for the role that each one has. You know, it's nice to get away on a weekend, like last weekend, hang out but it's good to be with your church family, the place that's home for you, the place where you get to serve the body of Christ. Our unity, it's not something that we have to strive to achieve. It's a fact that Christ has purchased for us through the work of the cross. So serve the body. Be a member of the body. Let's pray this morning. Invite the worship team to come. I say, come on, you guys stand with me. We'll pray.